0: Hi, my name's John Beazold, and this is Dutch Art and Design Today. I've worked as a writer, editor, and journalist for the past 15 years, most recently at Holland, the world's longest surviving art historical journal, which covers the art of the Low Countries from 1400 to the early 20th century. The Netherlands is celebrated worldwide for its Golden Age art and its modern design counterparts, though rarely do those who work in these fields have the chance to explain that same work In their own words. In this podcast, I'll take you behind the scenes and tell the stories of the many museum curators, art educators, contemporary designers, and artists, and everyone in between. In each episode, I'll sit down with some of the key players and the tastemakers in the worlds of Dutch art and design. My next guest is Anna de Jong, who is a gallery manager and a curator at Upstream Gallery in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I first became aware of Anna's work in October of 2022 when I stopped by the exhibition that she curated titled Future Bodies. The show was all about the human body in relation to technology and included works by eight different artists, all of whom were female. The exhibition was the first that Anna has curated at Upstream, where she has been since 2015. Anna studied art history at the University of Amsterdam where she received her B.A. and M.A. degrees and focused on modern and contemporary art. The university is also where she developed her academic interest in digital art. However, it was only at Upstream that she was able to parlay that theoretical interest in the real world experience. And in her current, rather dynamic role, she is also responsible for a multitude of tasks ranging from artist representation to exhibition installation to curatorial ideation and much more besides. In this episode, we discuss her love of art and how she came to be collaborating with arguably one of the most digitally progressive art galleries in Amsterdam, her ideas behind and the curation process of staging the exhibit she curated, Future Bodies, and what makes Upstream so unique that's led it to be the leading Dutch gallery in the field of digital artist representation. She then shares her thoughts on art and the blockchain and NFTs as a technology used by digital artists. Near to the end, we share a moment of joy when we learn that we both own an NFT from Marina Abramovic's Genesis Tezos collection, The Hero. Thank you for being my guest on Dutch Art and Design today. It's really a pleasure to speak with you, and thanks for having me here at the gallery.
1: Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So, one of the things I often like to do when I start out the podcast is ask people who I've invited on the show who I don't already know on a personal or professional basis is what is their first memory of being touched or affected by an artwork? Um, Which medium was it? And how did it affect you in the way that it did? However, in this episode, um, I want to go ahead and dive right in and talk about your background in relation to your current creation work here at Upstream Gallery. And so for everybody who is listening, we are sitting in the main space of Upstream Gallery in Amsterdam. Um, well, actually, the, I guess you could say like the front gallery, so not the main exhibition space, a side space. And the gallery itself is located on the Kloveniersberg wall in Amsterdam. And the building um, itself was finished in 1642. It was designed by Philip Finkbones, and he's one of the really well-known architects from let's say the 17th century, along with Lieve de Kai and Jacob van Kampen. Um, and as an aside, Jacob van Kompen designed the Amsterdam City Hall, which is now the Royal Palace, as well as the Maritz House in the Hague. So a bit of background about the gallery, just from an architectural standpoint and where it is in the city. Um, And to zoom in on the space that we're in, Upstream has quickly become one of my favorite galleries due to its curatorial stance, which I think is really progressive. And the reason I say that is because the exhibition that I saw named Future Bodies is the one that you curated. And before we jump into that, I would like you to sort of maybe sketch out your background in relation to the gallery that we're finding ourselves in right now. When was the gallery established and what are its main goals and its work as a gallery in the city?
1: Um, Well, my my own background is that I um, studied art history here in Amsterdam at the University of Amsterdam. So I started there when I was 18, I think. And then in my third year, uh, I wanted to do an internship because it's so much theory and I wanted to know more about contemporary art. Yes. And then um, through a, a study, a friend of mine, I, uh, she worked actually at Upstream Gallery, when the gallery was still uh, located somewhere else. Ah. And so I was 20 and uh, started an internship at Upstream. Uh, this is eight years ago now, mm-hmm. So uh, so I started an internship there and then it was a lot of fun, and I was also really excited to be working in contemporary art suddenly. And it, it taught me a lot that I didn't get taught at at university, just like the art market and how it works and how you can work together with artists. Um, so after my internship, the gallery actually. Uh, was going to move to this place and this might a lot bigger and where was it located before? Uh in the pipe. Ah. So it was more like a white cube. Like modern um, contemporary yeah. gallery. It was an old garage, uh. so pretty low ceilings, which was sometimes a struggle for a gallery. Um, like grey floor, white the walls, makeshift. it was kind of white cube. <laughs> and then suddenly we came here in this city palace. So they asked like, the, the owners, I will tell a bit more about the background of yeah, Upstream. Please. Um, uh, so Upstream was founded in 2003 okay. by Nick De Bruijn. Okay. So it's 19 years old already. Okay. Um, so and Nick built it up, um, he started in a very small space uh, near here, new, near Newmarkt. And then after a few years, uh, he worked together with Martijn Dijkstra, so they became co-owners and they had a lot, had a very international program right away from like they started doing art fairs and and I think the approach of Upstream has always been kind of radical, uh, like radical artists, activist artists and um, very avant garde, like finding the new the new things in art and and so they always did like in a small space or in a a fair booth, like big installations and really big gestures uh, and not the easiest things I would say to sell. But um, so they moved to uh, the pipe area and I joined in 2015 and uh, well, yeah, I, I should also say like around 10 years ago, we started working with digital art, which is now a big part of our program. And I think um, also kind of what we're known about now, um, but it's not the only thing we do because it's always important for us to all to do the whole um, uh, contemporary art uh, uh, scala of Painting, conceptual art, um, but now also digital art. So we started working with Raphaël Rosendaal yeah. ten years ago, and he became sort of famous with his websites as artworks yes. at first. Yes. Um, and now he's doing really well in NFTs. Yes. Um, and then later Jan Robert Leegte as well, Harm van den Dorpel, uh, Jody, which are really internet art pioneers from the nineties. Yes. Uh, So we slowly got to work with this whole generation of very interesting uh, digital artists. Um, And it was um, what makes it so interesting is that it takes a whole new uh, approach to art, like like what conceptual art did in the in the 60s is now happening with digital art that there's now artworks that are uh, like generative, so they are endlessly changing. They are never repeating the same thing. Uh, but also, these websites as artworks, like they are public and they will always be public. And so, how do you sell an artwork that is that is public? So it brings up sort of new ideas uh, in art in in the art market as well. So that's what was so interesting about it but yeah. it was never the easiest thing to 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 work with
0: what i'm really curious for is um um like um could you talk a bit about as well like um you did your bachelor and master at the University of Amsterdam, yeah. so people are aware, but could you talk about um, how you chose to focus on contemporary art and digital art and that how that eventually like led you here? Like, what were your interest in those um, the contemporary and digital world that, uh, I mean, you ended up in the perfect place for it, yeah. but like what, what drew you to that as opposed to like an old master painting or, for instance, mm. drawings, like that sort of um, own interest of yours in relation to art itself?
1: I was always more drawn to modern art I would say mm-hmm. and it's like I love all art also A true art I mean all, all yeah <laughs> like I I will go to any museum if it's ancient or but um I specialized in my bachelor's already in modern art because it kept just uh exciting me just new ideas new new ways of making art new ways of viewing art and i was always writing about uh, avant-garde throughout so at first uh uh, like avant-garde like surrealism was a big interest of mine okay um but yeah also Futurism that is like these isms from the 20s. Yes. And then later, conceptual art from the 60s. It's yes. just these new ideas that is, that have always excited me to to push boundaries and to like stretch what art is and what art can be. Yeah. Um, but I actually came at Upstream like in my bachelor's when I didn't know anything about digital art.
0: It's I mean so, beyond the nineties, like it's still it's, it's still a growth yeah, field. It's, like, yeah. it's
1: and you don't it's get, really new. get yeah. you don't get it at university. Like no. I, so suddenly I was working at upstream, doing an internship and getting to know Rafael Rosen now for instance, and I was really excited, not even because I liked his, his work aesthetically, mm-hmm. I, I really like it now, but it was more the the whole conceptual thing of having an artwork that is public for anyone to see over the whole world. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very democratic way of making art, of sharing art. I really like that idea. And I was just well, it was actually the thing that that no one talks about it in university, that I wanted to do something with it just to have a like new and also I had uh, the connection to like big artists in this field suddenly because I was working at Upstream. Yeah. So, so you during my master's. Jumped right in. Yeah. So <laughs> it already became a thing in my in my bachelor's that I wrote some essays about Internet art mostly. OK. And then during my master's, I, I did a specialization in modern and contemporary art. Mm-hmm. And there I really Focused on digital art also in research, but I also did an internship then at Lima, which is a platform for media arts and for the conservation of digital art. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a great place, but it's really it's a lot smaller now than it used to be the New Media Institute, and it also had an exhibition space. Is it Dutch? It is Dutch. Okay. Yeah, it's in Amsterdam. Um, and now it's quite small, but they do a lot of uh, very important work. So they they manage the collections of all the big mu- all the video art and media art collections of the big museums in Amsterdam. So also for Stedelijk, for Kunstmuseum. So yeah, they they uh, conserve their video and digital artwork. So it's very important this uh, because we have to it's good to keep it for the future Uh, so interned there I was still working here part time so after my internship I stayed here like during my studies Uh, so I worked two days in the week like as a gallery assistant yeah for years Um, and like specialized in digital arts and like for my master's master's thesis I interviewed some artists here and so I really had this um, possibility to really be close to like Lima, to the artist, which was really fun and interesting research.
0: I think that's also really interesting about your background here is that you, since you've been with the gallery so long and you're relatively quite young in your work uh, in the best possible sense, yeah. and I think that's really cool because you've, when you stay at one place for so long you get to know not only the people who of course you work with but the people who are external so all the artists so like you're really that's also why i wanted to speak with you like you're really specialized so i think that's really fascinating that you've started during your studies and now you're actually like putting on like really progressive shows as a curator (laughs) (laughs) yourself
1: it really yeah i and i always say i kind of grew up with with upstream, like, like, I was 20 when I started here, and now I'm manager, and, like, so, after my, after I finished my master's thesis, so I was done at university, and then the gallery manager left, so my colleague, he left, and then it felt logical to get into his his place, so yeah. since four years now, I've been gallery manager, which means that I just, yeah, for those,
0: like, for those who don't know, also, because, um, uh, the show, like, um, it covers like everything from the Middle Ages to up to today. And one of the things, um, like, I want to have um, one of my goals with the show is to really give a peek behind the scenes. So, could you talk, like, in the best possible sense, like, what does being a gallery manager entail? Like, because I don't think yes. everybody knows this. <laughs>
1: no, and it's also kind of hard to explain what a gallery manager <laughs> really. Yep. It, well, it's more because it's it's just a lot of things. Um, it's like together with, with the owner, Nick. Um, yeah, we. The gallery represents like 24 artists at the moment, I think. Okay. So from the Netherlands and abroad. Yeah. So we, of course, sell their work, but we also have like a deep uh, yeah, work relationship with them. We're kind of a management slash label as well for these artists. So we really help them throughout their career. Um, like, so they can make art and we will we will do everything around it. Like, and have is, the connections. And,
0: uh, is part of your role as a gallery manager as well, like, finding new artists to sort of bring into the gallery and help nurture and, like, um, like sort of shuffle them along on their path as representation?
1: Yeah, well... It never really was in my. Well, it's not in my job description, but it it has been a thing. Uh, Also, the show I curated um, was also kind of a research into like all these artists in the show were not with upstream like we don't represent them. Um, So it was also a research for like maybe who is interesting to work more with? Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I I have been scouting a bit, but of That's course really cool. the, the a gallery like a gallery is very personal in the sense that most of the artists that we represent are sort of chosen by Nick, uh, who is the owner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since a few, I've been so connected with the gallery, so I think we we discuss uh, everything now. So. Yeah, I also have a bit of this influence now. I would say, Um, but yeah, we we produce um, six exhibitions per year. Okay. So that's a lot of the work that I'm doing, like uh, having contact with the artists to have their works done in time, framed in time, produced in time, Uh, and then well, we hang the show. It has to be photographed. we also have three gallery assistants um, so that I kind of manage. Um, we do art fairs, so that always also has a lot of uh, preparation, um, also like international art fairs. Nick and I will go there for a week and like build up. Uh, uh. Cool. Yeah,
0: it sounds like you have a really multifaceted and if I must say so, uh, if I may say so, really uh, exciting, dynamic job.
1: It's a very dynamic job. Uh, yeah. And also, like, sometimes I'm just writing press releases. So that's also sometimes I'm just sending emails all day or doing registry, like uh, database work. So it's it's very exciting. And every day is different, which is which, also really works for me like sometimes I just want to stand on a ladder and paint the walls <laughs> and then for a new show or something and then the next day we will have champagne and celebrate with, with, uh, with some nice people and so it's, it's often hard work but it's like I couldn't imagine a more fun job as well. I would say. Yeah, I, mean, I think it sounds. Uh... And and I work with artists every day, and so there's new, new things coming, like new thoughts, new inputs all the time, which like really excites me.
0: Yeah. Always. Cool. Well, I think that's also one of the reasons I was attracted to the gallery, which led me here to speak with you, is because the the ideas that I was exposed to in visiting the Future Bodies exhibit were like so multifaceted. And I can imagine if you're on the back end of that and you're actually working with that, like the ideas you must come across like on a daily basis are just like really cool. So to take things a bit further, now that you've sketched a bit about uh, your background, your education, how you came to be at the gallery here, uh, a bit about your role, some of the tasks that you do on a daily basis, um, the artists you work with, etc. I would like to now focus in on the exhibition that I was so moved by and which inspired me to reach out uh, to you to talk and reflect on today. And the show for everyone listening was entitled Future Bodies, and it ran here at the gallery from August 27th to October 15th. And it included eight different artists. um, And as its title suggests, it was focused on the future of the human body in relation to technology at its most basic level. And so the actual description of the show that you wrote said, um, quote, the artists work together with machines, merge um, merge with them or question their functioning in different media and from various angles. The artworks in this exhibition shed light on the role of the body in the digitized society. Whereas the male perspective is still dominant in the digital art world, attention here is paid to the female gaze, which I think was quite poetic and that's why I quote it. So before we deep dive into the exhibition, uh, which was focused on female artists um, and for those who don't know, I would like to have you speak a bit about um, the idea or the concept or the notion of the female gaze. Why is it important and why did you choose to use that as a framework for the show itself?
1: Um, well, the idea for the show, so I've been working here for, for a long time as a gallery manager, but we. it was always kind of... Um, uh, both of mine to curate a show once so yeah. I talked with Nick and he said that it's a good idea and but we and we were talking about okay what kind of show should it be probably about digital art because that's also my, my background yeah and um, but most digital artists we represent are uh, male <laughs> and so uh, both Nick and I thought it was important to focus more on female yeah. artists just like them in the spotlights um, so it was kind of from the start an idea to make an all female show yeah which I have dubbed about like should we We like should we really focus on
0: what would your doubts be if I may ask
1: well if you um, you can also frame artists uh, to just for their for their gender or something. Like, uh, I do think it's important to make all-female shows though, because there's so many all-male shows and it's just, it needs to be leveled out. But it's also, if you make, I don't want to frame any artist just as a female artist or making feminine art. So that was kind of what I was doubting about and I, I wanted also to be open to non-binary people or trans people or everyone everyone. so and in that sense like I kept it open like if there's a male artist that like really works in this exhibition I i would
0: not gonna say no no Yeah.
1: but I had so many like great female artists that it it didn't really came up in the end but like slowly it It's, yeah, it was a very sort of, I think, process got kind of personal to make a show about your own interests and your own, uh, uh, like, themes that that you think a lot about. So this theme of the body kind of came, kept coming back to me, which is, of course the the body is one of the most depicted things in art history, and mostly female bodies especially mostly painted by men,
0: especially <laughs> yeah naked in yeah. female bodies and old master paintings very instance.
1: very passive uh, role for for the female body um, so and then also like in relation to digital technologies, this role of the body was very interesting to me like we. We, in a way, get more detached from our bodies by sitting in to, like being on, in our computers all the time, Standard like our intimacy yeah. is it's just different. Um, uh, but but also um, there's also like uh, digital bodies that like avatars or um, bodies walking around in digital space that sometimes represent us but also can can be anything and there's a lot of freedom in that yeah. and um, and then I also have this big interest for cyber feminism which was a movement in the 1990s that's cool uh, which was a feminist uh, movement kind of inspired by the uh, uh, Writing of Donna Haraway, which was uh, she wrote an essay. Oh my God! Oh, a cyborg manifesto. And it kind of um, uh, looked at a future where gender wouldn't be such such a thing, like the difference between male and female, for instance. Yeah. Um, In the future. And that digital technologies could help with that because in a digital world, it's a whole new world. You can be whoever you want. You can have another name or have another. There's a lot of freedom in in, in the metaverse, the, the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how we call it now. So I like this idea. And then at the same time, it's now 30 years later and it's also uh, digital spaces also like kind of took over the same uh, um, workings of the physical world I would say like there's still a lot of racism sexism in the digital space as well yeah um, but this idea of uh, finding also or using digital technologies as a tool as sort of a feminist tool for emancipation for freedom was still very uh yeah, interesting to me, and I think is still relevant, even though, uh, yeah, it's it, we're not like at a equal level at all. Um,
0: That's why I think it's really interesting to talk about. Um, before maybe we go a bit further, because um, for instance, one of my really good friends here just finished an MA in uh, gender studies at the University of Amsterdam, and I'm still learning things from them all the time but um, even as a gay man for instance (laughs) but could you talk a bit about uh, like before we go into the exhibition like uh, a bit further in terms of artworks and artists the difference between like at the most general level um, just because it's a nice discussion um, can you talk a bit about the difference between uh, gender and sexuality and biological uh, Uh, sex as opposed to gender just as like a nice introduction Uh, because I don't think everybody's really aware of this as you mentioned like this is still gender equality is not even equal but people then therefore aren't even aware of the difference between gender and sexuality or biological sex so yeah
1: yeah this was also um, in my research about how What's it like to inhabit a body? So when we talk about the body, it's often about the outside of the body. But what's it like to be born into a body and um, you have to deal with kind of what you get. So it can also be dark skin color, which all like right away when you're born, you will like your skin color will influence the way people look at you or or have all these prejudices and i think it's the same thing with with sex and gender like you're born into a body and suddenly there's all these stereotypes projected on you like yeah uh, uh, like the simple things like oh it's a girl we have to make the room pink and assign female at birth yeah. yeah and she has to get a doll because she probably wants to be a mother yep. later and uh, so And I think this is still so very deep in in our society. Um, These gender roles uh, um, and also in in art history, of course. You get to be. uh, Yeah, you you have to deal with all these things that people put on you, even though, oh, why? can she you be indeed non-binary, or uh, if you want to change your sex? Like I think um, people are more open to all the ideas, and at the same time, at the moment, there's so many things going backwards uh, in these things as well, like the abortion rights in, like the female body in the U.S. is. Uh, being treated so differently from from male bodies in in that sense that that they don't have freedom to their own body in a way
0: um, and if you're of a certain mindset, you also just think uh, for instance at least that's how I think like these things are like we're only marching forward, but it's becoming more it's becoming more clear that we can also slide back
1: yeah yeah, and that scares me a lot like
0: yeah. Uh, that's also why I wanted to, to speak with you. And because yeah. uh, I, I was, yeah, I really thought the show was awesome. And that's also why I think it's important to talk a bit about this uh, before we like deep dive into the show, because it's super relevant. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to reflect on it with you. Yeah. Um, so before we go a little bit further, um, can you, because the exhibition is now closed, could you go ahead um, and speak and sort of like paint a picture of the exhibition itself? Um, I mean obviously it was in the gallery here and the gallery is a monumental space as we mentioned from the 17th century white walls but it was also a very uh, sparsely inhabited Um, but there were very prominent artworks that stuck out Um, so could you just in the most general sense like paint a picture of like what you wanted the gallery to look like when people walked in and what you wanted them to um, like feel and experience when they first saw it
1: Yeah, for me, it was important to show a lot of different media uh, because also in so it was a show about digital technologies, but there's also been a lot of of post Internet art or physical artworks reflecting on the digital world. Yeah. Um, So I didn't want it to be just screens or just physical artworks. Um, So I I wanted a nice mix. Yeah. I also wanted it to be really uh, a bit rooted in art history. Um, so we had, uh, for instance, when you came in uh, works by Lynn Hirschman Leeson, which yeah. are original collages from the 1980s. So, yes. But she's really a big pioneer in she already in 1960s made these cyborg drawings that are really interesting. So like merging technology with the human body and She was so ahead of her time and I think only in the last few years she's been recognized as a really important artist. So I was also really honored to have her work in the exhibition. I was so excited to to open this box and to have her work here. Imagine. Um, So that was important to me to have these different generations as well. So we have these collages and then um, opposite from her work, there was the work of a young French artist, Salomé Chatriot, and she was the youngest artist in the exhibition, but the, the themes of their works were the same. So this was a digital work with um, aluminium uh, works next to it. We had sculpture. So we had a um, diptych by Aria Harvey from a, a physical sculpture and a digital sculpture, the same sculpture, but in different uh, instances. Uh, we had an aug- augmented reality sculpture by Martina Mennegon. Yeah. Um, and also a video dipped by her. Uh, another video work by Cassie McQuader, uh about video games. Um, and then in the next room, so it's two rooms next to each other, uh, paintings by Eddie Wittknecht. Those were really cool. Those were really cool. I was very excited to have them. I'm a big fan of her work as well. And, um, and an installation uh, by Coralie Vogeler, who was the only Dutch artist actually in the exhibition. And then uh, textile work and video work by Eva Papamargariti. Um, so yeah, a lot of different media, um, different generations. Yeah. Uh, but all in a way about the body, but not not always that literal, I would say.
0: I was really struck by the di- as you mentioned, like the diversity of like the range of the artists themselves, and not only their like let's say nationalities and backgrounds, but also the different media types. So now that you've like sketched um, a picture of what the space uh, entailed in terms of the different artworks, could you talk a bit about like um, what you wanted to achieve by having these works in a dialogue together?
1: Um, yeah. So the physical and the digital.
0: Yeah, parts. just I mean, uh, like in the most digital, like in the most um, like general sense, like what did, uh, like you know, uh, of course you chose them and you're the curator, but like uh, by placing these objects in a room, like what did you want people to sort of take away by having them in a dialogue with mm. one another? It
1: was a big process, by the <laughs> way, to install it. <laughs> like you have chosen the artworks, but then to have it, I had kind of made a sort of. Digital floor plan, but we it it totally changed when we got works. Yeah. So this was this was like a few weeks of uh, putting things together, and um, yeah, what I I think in our world now it's we move from the digital into the physical. Yeah, that's always like the two words I use: digital and physical. But. we move between those spaces all the time. Um, And we're not even always aware of it anymore. No. Uh, And we used to say like um, in real life as opposite to um, in the digital world. But I think it's uh, at least now the digital world is as real as the physical world. Like we're moving in and out of it. So, And I wanted to Uh, have that in the exhibition as well that you can that an augmented reality sculpture can can be as intimate in a way uh, sometimes even more than than physical sculpture in in a room because you can interact with it in a different way and I think uh, digital art is still like a lot of people, especially from the more traditional art world, um, still have this almost cold feeling with this, like they don't see it really as a uh, as an important um, art movement or technique. But for me, it became so. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can have something really intimate and, and a digital work can like, uh need a lot of skill as well, like making a very beautiful digital sculpture is
0: equally, equally as time consuming as, yeah, yeah. As,
1: as, as, uh, and I think so. That's so, yeah, I want, I think people to interact with these I think self-portrait here was also kind of a theme, so to interact with these bodies. Yeah. These physical bodies, these digital bodies. Um, yeah.
0: And so I get it correctly before I say it. Her name is Aurea Harvey? Aurea Harvey, yes. Aurea Harvey. So, um, she is an American artist I believe currently living in Rome and um, let's say that was an image that was really spread online so it was really yeah, strikingly beautiful but it was a digital sculpture of like um, almost like a bust yeah. and there was a physical sculpture next to it and so that's why I ask about a dialogue because that was the most like prominently placed work but the, the digital version of it was really cool because if you actually stood in front of it, you could see the like the chest breathing. breathing. Yeah, that was so like cool for yeah. lack of a better word. <laughs> like.
1: Yeah, there, there's also this line of things in, in the exhibition of breathing of of the like really the human. I see the human body is also kind of a, as a machine. So yeah. you can. So this is an interesting Thing, to have them next to each other. So, the the work of Aria Harvey is so it's the same sculpture in a way. So, there's a digital version and a physical version. And what I really like about her work is that it's so rooted in art history. Yes. So, this bust is she really looks, she lives in Rome, so she really looks at all these Roman sculptures. She goes to lots of museums. She has this whole just database just of, by of mm. um, art history. Uh, And then she she was already like a a game maker in the 90s and was pretty successful in that. And then a few years ago, she started like developing her solo uh, practice as an artist. And uh, what I really, so she makes these digital, she always starts with the digital sculpture. So, and she morphs uh, like, these things from art history that she sees in Rome yeah. uh, together with 3D uh, scans of, for instance, her own face. So this was also in a way self portrait oh, because it was um, that's cool. her own like 3D scanned uh, face and then well morphed with and sculpted in the digital space with like, different materials. Yeah. Um, it was the, the work was called Pelops. So this is a mythical creature. So it's really rooted in art history, but she uses the most new, like the newest tools uh, that you can use. Yeah. And then um, she, she 3D printed the physical sculpture yeah. and then also put clay on it. So yeah. it really has a different feel. And she really like emphasizes what you can do with physical uh, like with texture and with material in the physical world, but she also really emphasizes what you the tools you can use in the digital world and you can make a work breathing while, and suddenly it's alive and you feel kind of connected to it. Um, so I really like how she she makes the best of these, And they're kind of in conversation with each other. Um,
0: like yeah. in, in the most literal sense, like in the exhibition, that was like a digital twin and a physical, so they yeah. were literally in a dialogue. But the reason I ask about like what you wanted the works to achieve in a dialogue with each other is because like stemming off from that, like it was the perfect foundation to like literally have these artworks talking yeah. to one another. So definitely, yeah. So earlier this year, I visited the exhibition that Upstream put on in the spring, titled uh, "Art in the Blockchain," which was over in the Jordan. Um and as the title says, it was about art and the blockchain, and included works from artists like Lorna Mills, uh, Raphael Rosendahl, who you've mentioned, Harm van Dorp, who were sitting in a room with an artwork by. You're actually, for people listening, sitting in front of um, uh, a screen with the work from Jan Robert Legta's Window series, which was a really cool generative piece that he did with, I think, Art Blocks. Um, And the reason I mention this is because that show was really focused on works that were on the blockchain. So the most literal sense would be like NFTs, but an NFT is just really a distribution medium. And what I want to ask you uh, about in relation to that show, in relation to this one, is that I was really impressed by this show, um, including artists who work with NFTs, such as um, Martina Menegon, um, whose work is really seductive in its use of 3D. But also artists, uh, you know, just from digging into their background who don't make use of NFTs. And for instance, in the case of Cassie uh, McQuader, she's actually even opposed to them. And on her website says, like, I'm not going to be flying around the world like no crypto, no NFTs, no carbon footprint for me. So where I want to take this is, um, since this exhibition was about the future of the body and technology, uh, it would have been hard to include artists who were not, for instance, working with, uh, let's say, NFTs in the most general sense. So could you talk about um, your own views on NFTs in relation to digital art? Because I think it's really cool, regardless if people mint their work as an NFT or not, that you can now actually own these artworks in like a literal sense. And that's why it's one reason I wanted to speak with you is because you're literally at the forefront of Working with artists who are working in these mediums who are young but also established who are using NFTs to let's say sell their artwork those who aren't. So what do you think maybe NFTs allow you to do as a gallery and as a curator? And what are your own personal views on them as a technology?
1: Um yeah, it's been an interesting two years with, with this whole NFT hype, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have been, of course, working with these artists for 10 years. So and digital art was really um, kind of not easy to sell, I would say, like, that's why I asked. Yeah, yeah, so it's and then but actually we had two artists. Um, well, for instance, Harm van der Dorpel yep. already talked to us in, I think, 2016 about and he, he didn't call it NFTs, but he called it tokens on the blockchain. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, if you sell work to a collector, they can claim their token. And we didn't really get it. <laughs> and collectors also didn't really get it. People but still don't get it right now. No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. So and Harm actually already sold into he, Harm was the first artist in the world to sell an NFT to a museum. Um, paid with Crypto in 2015.
0: That's cool. That's like the first year, of, second year of his existence. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So he's really a pioneer in this field and he had a uh, left gallery, which was, um, it's it's now discontinued, but it was a sort of online art gallery for downloadable objects and you could also pay with Crypto. So yeah. there were also NFTs like before the hype, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and then two years ago, there was this big, sale uh, people sale for 70 million and suddenly everyone woke up and everyone was talking about nfts about crypto uh and sometimes it was also kind of annoying in a way that suddenly everyone was talking about nfts because there was a lot of money in it even, even though like and a lot of People thought and still think that all digital art is NFT or all NFTs are digital art. Yeah. And we, always, we were always like, no, oh, this has a lot longer history. Like it's, digital art is not a new thing. No. It has been around for, well, you could say already from the 60s, like yeah. generative art. Um, and also like someone as Harm who had been struggling uh, to uh, yeah, get his work out there. Uh, well, this left gallery that he had was suddenly sold out in within a, a few months. Uh, so he, he, of course, it, it was great as well that these artists finally got recognition for work they have been doing for years and years. Yeah. Um, so when when this hype came up, a lot of people asked us about it right away because we were in this field already. That's interesting. Um, but we did kind of take a step back because we were like, okay, this. This is a high, well, now everyone jumps onto it. And if we were going to do something with NFTs, we wanted to do it right and uh, not jump on a hype train. And uh, so that didn't feel right. Um, But then that summer, so this was 2021, I think. That summer we had a solo show with Harm van der Dorpel. And he had been working on a blockchain-based generative artwork yep. that he wanted to release as an NFT. Um, and that so that was the first like collaboration we we did with an artist for NFTs. And we the first sixty they they came available on a NFT platform later. But we got the chance for Harm's exhibition to sell the first sixty-four editions to like more. Or traditional art clients, I would say.
0: So, like as opposed to um, like exhibiting, for instance, a work that already exists as an NFT, you guys actually were involved in, like, let's say, like the minting process, or uh, like. Yeah. Well, no,
1: um, Harm really did all the programming, made his own minting website, and but so. But it
0: was from you as a gallery. Like, um,
1: um, yeah, it was. It was really. Um, sort of independent harm projects yeah. but we were collaborating in these first 64 editions That's and then so cool. <laughs> and then the rest of them released through folia which is a yeah. Berlin based uh, nft platform cool uh, but it was really exciting to to have these like people were were excited we we did sort of a crypto lounge getting collectors into nfts uh explaining how to make a wallet how like so it it has been a lot of it has been a lot of um so i learned a lot and then in the months after i explained a lot (laughs) to collectors as well like suddenly you're an expert in in this uh field uh so we saw these these uh uh, harm NFTs for like 450 euros, and then our collectors could also pay with euros, and they didn't have to have crypto, so yeah, a lot of people like could jump in uh, without too much hassle for them. And then that project totally exploded. This was Mutant Garden Cedar uh, project, which is the so the NFTs he programmed are mutating over time, yeah. so endlessly mutating in the blockchain. Yeah. So really cool. It's really an amazing work. I still think it's such a classic now already. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people thought that because when they got on Folia, it was sold out in one evening and then the secondary sales began. And in a few months it like you could like the floor price for, for a work like that was um, in dollars, like $70,000 per work. It was crazy. So we didn't know what was happening yeah. <laughs> and harm as well. And and well, and well, that's then uh, a big plus about NFCs. Uh, you can build in resale rights for instance. So from all these secondary sales, harm yep. still gets and still he gets 10% of every um, sale, which is in the physical art, art world, often not the case. So like uh, David Hockney uh, sold a painting 20 years ago and, and now it gets doesn't uh, see any of that and, profit. and doesn't see anything I mean yeah. he probably has a, has a lot of money but <laughs> it, it should get back to, to the artists in the end uh, yeah. and, and so I think that's a big plus about NFTs and also Raphael and Jan Robert got into it and what I really like, like they get recognized now for work they have been done really since like, like for 20 years now. And that's what I really like about this hype is that suddenly digital art came in. There's, there was spotlight on it. Um, not always a good spotlight. Like it was a lot about these money aspects. Um, but in the end, uh, it's, it's getting a lot more integrated now within uh, yeah, larger frame, like museums are, are suddenly a bit more interested now in, in digital art. I mean, this was already happening for some years now, but I think this NFT hype out, uh, helped. And then now, of course, there's a crypto winter and it, it's not in this. But I think it's a good thing that it's not this hype anymore and it's not everyone jumping in for the, for the money, but it, it's more about the art now, for instance yeah um, yeah so I think NFTs are, are a great technology, but of course you have to think about it's actually just a certificate of authentic or ownership, but often it's not the artwork itself um, so there's still a lot of misunderstanding I think about NFTs and Sometimes it does make more sense to make just a paper contract and uh, or just sign a, work, a physical work. Yeah. But for these artists that have been working with digital technologies for years, I think it's it's a very interesting new way of, of digital ownership and also for them to to be in contact with their uh, yeah with their community more. I think it's a big community thing. Um, Completely. And also, of course, we have been working with these artists and their physical artworks we sell in the gallery, but they also have now the opportunity to sell a lot more works to a lot more people also outside the traditional art, for art world because there's now also kind of coming worlds together. Like We are more in touch with the traditional collectors yeah. or, and museums and uh, company collections, but there's a whole new range of collectors now in this crypto world that is not used to going to art galleries often, but they look for art on the Internet and they are also and I mean, uh, Jan-Robert Leegte is hanging, or Hans van Dorp, well, they both are in collections of Stelig Museum or uh, or other big museums, but they are also uh, uh, big artists in, in this crypto scene. And I think that's also, it's just a lot of fun to have this whole new scene and it brings it brings a lot of questions also to to the gallery, to the art worlds. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I think new things are exciting <laughs> for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's also one of the reasons why I ask is because I thought um, like again, not only just be blowing, being blown away by the exhibition and thinking the ideas around it were really cool in addition to all the different artworks and the way that it was framed as a curatorial standpoint, but also that you included NFTs and to zoom out a little bit further, that you as a gallery here at Upstream are involved with that. And as you mentioned, like you have younger people coming into the space or people visiting art museums or galleries who normally wouldn't because they're exposed to that technology. And I think it's really cool that you guys as a gallery yourself are dealing with that in a way that's completely open and incorporating it and yeah therefore making it let's say like more like normal um because yeah it's uh it's just bringing art to a larger audience uh, regardless of if people buy it or not and also what
1: what is also exciting about NFTs is that it's it's often collections of um like A few hundred artworks that get released in one time, yeah. for instance, Rafael Rosendahl, then um, together with Art Blocks, the platform well, releases his collections uh, like one a month or no, so. well, no, that's too many. But anyway, you can buy his, his NFTs for a few hundred dollars um, in Ethereum, of course, but yeah. uh, for a lot of people, this is much more uh, in reach, accessible than uh, his tapestries that we also sell but that are like around $10,000 so it also gives an opportunity for for a bigger audience to collect artists that they like, that they admire Um, and that's just I bought like last summer I bought an NFT by Marina Abramovic which, which was a... Uh, for oh, me as well? Yeah. That was my it first was, uh, Tezo's NFT. Yeah, yeah, for me as well. Oh, cool. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and and it was just so exciting for me. I mean, this was also a big collection of 6,000 so it wasn't that hard to get one, but I own uh, Marina Abramovic and who I've been a fan of. Like, this is her forever. sitting on
0: sitting on the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: indeed, yeah. yeah. And for me, it's so cool to that I can say I own... Uh, an artwork by Marina Abramovic, who I've been admiring for so long, and At the that that's possible is <laughs> just so great. So, uh, and also this Martina Menegon piece, which is an augmented reality sculpture, you can take it home, you can project it in your own room or, or hang it on the wall. And that was also, like uh, you can buy it in the exhibition on the Te- Teasers blockchain for, I think, also um, around 100 so that was also one of the more accessible artworks, and and we didn't also ask a share of that. Like that was more yeah. for Martina, yeah. like to support uh, uh, yeah her practice. But yeah. I, I really like that there's this uh yeah of course you need to have a wallet, and you have to get some crypto but it's also that's his
0: own podcast but uh yeah you need a wallet if like uh, you want to jump in but uh beyond all that but with martina's uh, i saw she uses a taya a lot as a marketplace and i thought uh, that was really cool just as a visitor to the exhibition that i can go on taya and buy an artwork maybe not the one that was here in the exhibition but one from her and like yeah about accessibility like that's really cool that you guys are yeah. involved with that and yeah, that's why I wanted to speak yeah. with you. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think like, of course, if you, at a gallery you, you want to sell artworks and that's, I mean, for the artist that's good, for us that's good, but the most important thing is is to uh, support artists in the broader sense, uh, not just to sell their work, but also in their practice and. Uh, so And that's what I like about NFC is that this community is getting a lot bigger and to get more attention than from a lot of different views. Um, so, yeah, that's just a good thing. <laughs>
0: well, you're the first person that I've spoken with in a contemporary gallery because um, most people that I've spoken with on the podcast so far are working in... Uh, mostly like old master museums yeah. and of course all those artists are dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's yeah another reason i wanted to speak with you today well thank you uh so much for speaking with me today i was really again blown away by the future ex- future bodies uh exhibit here and um that's why i reached out to speak with you because i knew that there were not only interesting ideas about the show itself Um, in terms of how it was curated, uh, the artworks, um, the background of the artists that were included, but also the way that Upstream Gallery itself functions as a gallery working with artists and how at the same time you're working with, for instance, technologies on the forefront of contemporary art, such as NFTs or otherwise. And thank you so much. And yeah, I really learned so much and just, yeah, I really enjoyed getting to know you a bit better.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.